Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. How are you holding up in this new, new age? I am hyped up on sugar because I got surprise donuts this morning. Oh, who gave you donuts? I want donuts. Uh, we have some friends who live in Portland who got their stimulus checks. Thank you, Uncle Sam. And <laughs> our $1,200 that are going to get us through this recession. Yay. The whole 10 months. The whole months. 10 weeks or whatever. Uh, they wanted to support a local business, and they also wanted us to feel better on Friday. So Aww. we got surprise donuts. Those were actually, you, you posted a picture on Slack, and those are actually really good-looking donuts. I'm, I'm very envious of those donuts. I am so full of sugar at the moment, and also <laughs> adrenaline, because I finally finished my Final Fantasy VII Remake politics article, which I spent all day working on. And then at around 11 p.m., I was like, well, I just need to rework the intro a little bit. Oh, interesting. I seem to be rewriting this whole thing. Damn it. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. How many words did it turn out to be? Oh, about 2,200. Yeah, that sounds about right. There's there's a lot of yeah. politics going on in that game. I could have written like 5,000 words if I really wanted to delve into Katie it. Katie would have killed <laughs> but... you. She would have taken out a gun and shot you. Yeah, she would have stabbed me through the chest like Sephiroth. <laughs> With a big, big, big sword. The thing you have to understand about Katie is that she's like Sephiroth as, as an editor. She's got that Masamune. Mm-hmm. She's just completely just chopping up articles. No, shorten it. I... You're being too self-indulgent here. This could be cut. <laughs> I sympathize with her because I'm very much, I, I believe we live in the age of TLDR. So I try to keep it like <laughs> as succinct as possible. Well, allow me to do the TLDR for this podcast, Nadia. Mm-hmm. The TLDR is that Mike is coming back on the show to with his smooth jazz voice, and he's going to be talking to us about Fallout 76 Wastelanders, another game that also has a lot of jazz in it. Does it have a lot of jazz in it? Yeah, well, I don't know about jazz, but definitely Andrew's uh, sister's type, you know, 1940s oh. music. Oh, very, yeah, yeah. Very upbeat and cheery, sometimes jazz. Very jukeboxy. And I think he'll also be talking to us a little bit about his Final Fantasy XI interview, which he went up. I can't believe that game is still going. I actually have um, a manager who I used to groom for back in the olden days. I, I met up with her recently. And I talked to her husband because he was a huge Final Fantasy XI fan. He says, yeah, he still gets together with his old group and on Saturdays and does raids or whatever. So yeah, good for people who are still playing. We also have a new segment this week, Nadia. Yes, I'm excited for this, for this segment. I made it up this morning, and we're going to give it a try. <laughs> yes, this is, um, should I should I spoil what it is, or are we, we going to spoil it? Yeah, 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 uh, totally spoil it for us. We are doing basically, um, well, forgive my cat sneezing in the background there. We are doing like a blank of the week, I believe we're calling it, and I think we're doing track of the week this week, and we're going to be talking a little bit about RPG music, and I am always in the mood to talk about <laughs> RPG music. Actually, I think we're going to stick with doing the RPG track of the week for a while, depending on the feedback. Mm-hmm. Be, I, I had originally suggested blank of the week as in like, well, let's figure something out so that we can do. Maybe we can do RPG villain of the week, or we could do RPG character of the week, or great moments in RPG history, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Perish uh, about that. But RPG track of the week just seems to really fit. It's a really nice way to engage with a little bit of video game music in the middle of your podcast yes um i know that nadia loves talking about rpg music and yes i i am very weird when it comes to music like i i come from quite a musical background but i can't read music um but i just 
like talking about it, even though I cannot talk about it in technical terms. I'll just be like, yeah, this is this is cool. This sounds like this. This sounds like that. But don't ask me to like talk about shifts in major versus minor or anything like that. I'll, I'll just stare at you blankly. But if you like this segment, we'll continue to do it. And also, I think that we can take nominations mm-hmm. for tracks so that we can get a little bit outside of our comfort zone I and agree. engage with a wide variety of great music in RPG history, not just the ones that we know. So it won't be Valkyrie Profile every week, is what I'm saying. <laughs> it won't be Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger every week, although I'd love it to be. And Persona. Persona, yeah. it'd be. I could do like a, a six months on Persona 5 alone. At some point, we need to do the final, the Acts of the Blood God bingo game or the Acts of the Blood God drinking game, mm. like for real, just so that people can like properly follow what's going on. Because we, we after 250 episodes, and we've done 250 episodes, the Final Fantasy VII Remake uh, review was our 250th episode, if you can believe the timing on that one. I would say that we have our ticks, and we're doing yeah. better. We're trying to break out of our comfort zone. So well, if you ever us. want to do a, a drinking game, I got like a full bottle of cinnamon whiskey over there. I can break it out anytime oh, I want. Oh, man. We could be like a classic one-up yours uh, episode where we just get more and more drunk as the episode goes on. Uh, that would be a long episode because I get very, very chatty when I'm drunk, as you've probably seen at PAX. <laughs> All right. Axe of Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. If you're enjoying the show, if you're enjoying my sugar bomb-laden self, uh, I would suggest leaving a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice because it definitely helps our visibility. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Follow U.S. Gamer at U.S. Gamernet. And also we have a weekly newsletter that comes out every single Wednesday. Nadia, what did you write about this week? This week, uh, since uh, ReadPop, our parent company, actually just launched uh, a cosplay uh, site, which unfortunately the URL is escaping my mind right about now, um, I think it's, sorry, Cosplay Central, that's it, Cos- CosplayCentral.com. I started kind of reminiscing about cosplays, RPG cosplays in particular, that I have done in the past, because uh, there was a time, I'm kind of sad to say, where I thought cosplay was stupid and kind of immature, and even as a kid, I wasn't big on dressing up for Halloween. I would just, like, put on a dress and say, yeah, I'm a princess. Give me candy. Like, I was very, very lazy about it. But as I went to Otakon year after year after year, like, I started to see how my friends were just kind of having fun. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get into some cosplay. So I got into cosplay. I'm very, very, very amateur hour. I've burned myself on glue guns. I've cut myself with scissors. But um, I've, I've really enjoyed it. There's a certain sort of liberation to putting on a costume and parading yourself around a convention center. Uh, as far as RPGs go, I've cosplayed Yusuke from Persona 5, who's my favorite. And my most successful cosplay is actually not related to RPGs, and that is our, I've done cosplay as the purple guy from Five Nights at Freddy's. And that's successful because it has terrified so many children, and that is very important to me, and that is my, my cosplay legacy. Uh, dressing up as a child murderer and scaring the hell out of out of children. Thank you. Is cosplay and Halloween costumes is that the same thing? Um, that is a good question. I feel like cosplay and Halloween they definitely crossed over a lot more than they used to, especially with you know the advent of Marvel movies. But I feel like Halloween is more open ended. You can dress up as whatever you want, whereas a, a fa- like a, a cosplay, I, I feel like I register that more with with fandom, like you would dress up as a comic book character or you would dress up as a, a game character or an anime character. 
And of course, you can do that on Halloween, but it just seems to be a lot more common at conventions where cosplay is prominent. Does it count as cosplay if I dressed up as Daryl Hannah's character from Blade Runner for Halloween? For a Halloween party? (laughs) Why the hell not? (laughs) Yeah, sweet. Uh, That... That was my most ambitious piece of cosplay, actually. That's actually really cool. Like, do you have any pictures? Uh, no, I do not have oh. any of those pictures handy, unfortunately. And probably I wouldn't post them on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many years ago was that? Oh, a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. At this point. Wow, cool, God, it feels like an eternity ago. All, yeah, everything. All the conventions I've been to in the past couple of in the past several years just feel like an eternity now. I also have a Star Trek outfit, okay. uh, you know, from the original series. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, so and I've been to an actual like convention. I, I met John Delancey. He seemed very grumpy to be there. <laughs> you know who was the nicest cause co- uh, co- a convention guest in the world was uh, Charles Martinet, the guy who does Mario. Like he was at the Toronto Comic Con some years ago, and it was really late, and it was the on the verge of closing down. So he was the only one there, and my husband and I were still there. So we just like talked to him, and he was just a really really cool chill guy i really enjoyed that conversation but my favorite thing that ever happened to me for some reason Otacon had peter beagle the author of the last unicorn and he they had him hiding behind some gaia online booth and nobody knew he was there except for me and a friend of mine and he's one of my favorite authors and just got to talk to him for ages and ages because no one else was there to see him and that was just one of the most amazing things i've ever done one of my lasting regrets was when I was about 12 or so, there was a Star Trek experience kind of thing that mm-hmm. was touring the country, and it came to the Mall of America. Oh, nice. So we went, and I got to, you know, see uh, the bridge of the original Enterprise, a recreation of it, and I got my picture taken with some Klingons and all of that. Oh, nice. But uh, Jimmy Doohan was there signing autographs, uh-huh. and I, my parents were like, all right. And do you want to go meet Jimmy Doohan? I was like, no, in fact, I want to go play Star Trek The Next Generation on Super Nintendo because it's right over there. (laughs) Because I was such a video game addict that I turned down a chance to meet the great Jimmy Doohan and get an autograph and maybe a picture that, uh, yeah, lasting regret. Wish I had done that. Was the game any any good? I don't think so. I don't remember it very well. I mean, it looked cool, you know, in 1994. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, you would like actually be on the bridge and you could rotate from station to station. It was actually pretty ambitious, if I recall correctly. That sounds really awesome, if you're a Star Trek yeah. fan. I am. I am. Yeah. Too much so. Yeah. I've actually been watching Picard. It's been really good. Oh, yeah. I've heard good things about that series. Yeah, I've, I've heard mixed things, but so for, for the for the most part, I've been able to kind of roll with it and enjoy it. So heading on to talk about Fallout 76 Wastelanders soon. But before that, uh, Nadia, how far are you in Final Fantasy VII Remake? I'm at Wall Market. Um, I met Madame okay. Madame M. That was she's pretty great. What do you think of uh, the Wall Market without getting like into spoilers and that kind of thing? Um, I really like what they did with it. It's very, very, very ambitious and very much what I would imagine like kind of a lawless sort of town in a slum to look like, especially one ruled by uh, a sex obsessed megalomaniac. Yeah, if you're if you're not familiar with Wall Market, and I imagine that pretty much anybody who's listening to this podcast knows what the Wall Market is at this point, it's kind of like a red light district of oh, Midgar. Yeah. yeah, like talking about like three red lights, three X's under them too. There are four red lights. Sorry, I'm still <laughs> thinking about Star Trek. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I really like the new characters that they introduced, and I really, really, really like how they handled uh, the whole infamous cloud cross-dressing sequence. I haven't gotten to that just yet, but I've seen videos, and it looks like a lot of fun. For me, like, I would say that Wall Market is an absolute highlight of Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is pretty amazing because... I didn't, I think I've said so on this podcast before. Like I would always run out of gas right around the wall market and get bored. Yeah. And here, like it's the peak. It's it's quite the turnaround. Yeah, like Wall Market and Final Fantasy VII Vanilla was never my favorite sequence. It was always very, very route, very, you know, ha ha, clouds and addresses and that funny. So that was the only joke, and they, they kind of really ran with that in the, in the remake and really turned it into something you know fun and interesting. Well, any additional thoughts on Final Fantasy VII Remake as you continue to play it? I was put out a call on Twitter because I've been having some problems with the battle system. Like, I like the battle system a lot, but uh, I have trouble avoiding damage because I tend to roll when I should block and vice versa. And I feel like the enemies, the enemy tells aren't very clear all the time, so I wind up getting my ass kicked a lot, especially since the AI in the game for the other characters isn't great. Uh, people have been giving me really good advice, including, you know, our co-workers on Slack and, and people on Twitter came forth with a lot of great advice about, you know, switching characters a lot, which is something I don't do. I, I tend to stick to Cloud, so I should really focus on that a little bit more. Uh, how to upgrade your weapons, like, you know, kind of put Cloud in, you know, build him for attack, uh, you know, build build Eris for balance. Um, see, that's one thing I'm really trying to get used to is the idea of upgrading weapons in Final Fantasy VII. It's just still kind of what the hell to me. Uh, so I've been I've been working on that, and yeah, I mean, overall, I really enjoy the game. It's just a matter of uh, not getting my asses kicked by the Turks every two seconds. Oh yeah, the parrying on the Turks can be a little tough. Yeah, I had a really hard time. Like I did okay with Rude, but I had a hard time with Reno. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a little bit tough uh, a little bit later on because there are some battles. Where you definitely are, they're basically one-on-one duels and you really have to be mm-hmm. on your game. There's mm-hmm. an especially tough fight that I managed to beat after a couple tries, but it I definitely had to recalibrate my thinking and be like pretty conservative in the way that I approached it. Yeah. And there is one fight that I actually just put it on easy because I was like, uh, screw this, I'm in a hurry, I need to finish this game. Yeah, there, there is definitely, I do like the fact that there's a dynamic easy option. So if you're just having, you know, trouble with a group of enemies or a, a boss or something, you just want to get on with your life. And it's not easy. It is quite easy, but it gets the job done. Can I give you some advice? Sure, please. Chakra, it's really good. Chakra, that's the, yeah, that's the materia that Tifa is equipped with. A lot of people are saying that Tifa is pretty much like the powerhouse of the game. Yeah, if you put, you can take Chakra off and put it on anybody you want. Oh, okay. And, Chakra... and so I... I usually put on Cloud because he is one of the most powerful of the characters uh-huh. and also takes a lot of damage. And you can recover 2,000 hit points. And here's the thing. What's really important is that it doesn't consume MP, so you can't be mm. silenced. Okay, yeah, because I've noticed that the enemies in this game love their, especially their silence, where they love their status effects. And so if Chakra can't be silenced, that's actually very handy. Um, I'm not ashamed to admit that I go through high potions in this game like candy. And also get the raise materia as soon as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And Kiraga, very powerful. <laughs> Once you get Kiraga and Faraga, 
you can really seriously start to mess up enemies. Yeah, uh, one thing I had no idea, and uh, Mike told this to me today, is that the magnify materia is basically the all materia. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, that's not clear at all. It's not clear at all. I did not use the magnify materia like at all. Yeah, like, um, and he said if you but, look at the video, but, uh, stuff like Fira and Faraga, and even Fire. Well, if an enemy is nearby, they will take some damage. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, elemental weaknesses are a, a big thing in this, which is why, like, I always have Assess equipped. You also have to pay close attention to certain enemies. Mm -hmm. Like, there was this one enemy that was giving me a lot of trouble, and I discovered that it has certain forms, one where it's invincible to physical attacks, right. one where it's invincible to magic attacks, and you have to know which one to strike at at a given moment. If you just try to run at it and attack it, it's going to wreck you and you're going to have a really hard time. So. Yeah, this is definitely not a game where as tempted as you are, you cannot button mash. You will you will die. It's a very strategic game and mm -hmm. I think that they did a really good job with the combat, especially compared to the previous efforts and I'm very happy about that. Yeah, like it's, it's definitely a little frustrating for me, but not to the point that I'm like, oh, this is bad or oh, I want to give up. I, I want to learn more about like what I am doing wrong. And people have been helping me a lot with that. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll check in some more with you as you continue to play Final Fantasy VII Remake, though you have a certain other RPG that you need to get through as well, which I'm sure we'll be talking about yeah. in a future episode. Indeed. Before too long, anybody who listens to this podcast can probably guess what it is. But in the meantime, we have something a little more pressing. We have Fallout 76 Wastelanders update to talk about. And to do that, we're going to do that with Mike Williams. And we're going to get him on the show right now. Okay, I'm here with Reviews Editor Mike Williams. Welcome back to the show. Hello, hello. How's everyone doing today? We're doing really great. Mike, yes. you've had a lot of uh, RPG-related things to talk about specifically that are very specific to your interests. I'll start with the one that maybe you actually care about and the one rather than the one you care a little less about, and that's Final Fantasy XI, which you did an interview with the, the developers. Uh, as I was telling Nadia a little earlier, I'm surprised that Final Fantasy XI is still going. Uh, I, I am also surprised that it's still going. I remember playing it like on PS2 way back in the day when you had to get the little thing to go on the back of the system. Oh, I remember uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've always been into like emerging technologies and early stuff. So I was like, yeah, let's go and do it. And I didn't so much enjoy it, but there seems to be a strain cause I, I, to, I didn't know a ton about the game, so I had to go on the Reddit and the forums and read up. Uh, there's a strain that I, is similar to like the original EverQuest, because people still play that. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, they really like these old, fiddly, difficult MMORPGs when it was about the, the, the difficulty and the exploration. And they just never want to leave, so I guess people are still jamming with it yeah i guess that like final fantasy 14 by comparison is very very user friendly i i got into it quite easily and i don't really have too much problems with it so i can see why people would want to go back to that really technical age of jrpgs like when you see the 
the Leroy Jenkins video and they're like making this whole huge plan before they go in and beat the beat the raid boss like that kind of challenge people still crave yeah pretty much whereas now you can join an alliance raid of like 24 players in Final Fantasy 14 and just as long as you know what you're doing and you know the fight you you guys are probably good just do I your just rotation and shut up I just realized that I got the two Final Fantasy fourteen stands in one channel. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> you need to join us, Kat. Please. Uh, who's the other person who plays FF14 on the US Gamer team? If we get them on there, it's going to be like crossing the streams and the world's going to end. I think Eric is starting. Um, no, I, I told think... him to stay strong. <laughs> Fight the power. I think, is it one it, of the guides people? It's... Uh, it it's Hiran. Hiran loves FF14, right? Yeah, it's Hiran, and then our dearly departed uh, Matt Kim, who uh. started like you, Cat. He was holding on, and then, like Nadia, he started. Once you start, you can't stop. I'm, no, I'm, too busy, I'm too busy building my island in Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing's an RPG, right? In a way, it <laughs> kind of is. No, it's not an RPG. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had this down, argument sorry. with I had this argument with Jake, where he was like, uh, "I was like, why did you list this as an RPG? It's not an RPG. It's, it's totally an RPG. You're playing a role." I'm like, "No, no, it's not. I Just put it like, down as a simulator." By that, by that token, freaking Gears of War is an RPG. <laughs> Just because you're representing <laughs> yeah. a character does not mean that it's a freaking RPG. Yeah, it's definitely a sim, not an RPG. Lifestyle RPG. simulation. Like Words have yeah. meaning. <laughs> no, they don't. Ooga booga. Yeah, do they anymore? Do they really, Cat? Uh, okay, now you're swerving into dark territory. So, <laughs> anyway, Final Fantasy XI, my main memory is, uh, of Final Fantasy XI is that James Milky loved that game. James oh, Milky yes. was one of the editors over at 1UP back in the day. He was the final editor of EGM. And also, I remember when I was living in Japan... Uh, a couple of people bouncing off World of Warcraft right after Burning Crusade came out, saying that it wasn't hardcore enough, and that they <laughs> were going to play. Was it Vanguard? Is that the one, or is it Vainglory? Yeah, yeah, Vanguard. No, no, Vanguard. It was. It was definitely Vanguard back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, they were playing Vanguard and Final Fantasy XI, which were for real MMO RPG fans. Yeah, like there's always this strain of. Of people who like the the Dark Age of Camelot, Ultima Online, original EverQuest MMOs that are a little bit more uh, toss you into the deep end of the pond and don't let you know what arms and legs are, so you can't like you have to learn how what arms and legs are so that you can then learn how to swim, and you'll probably drown a couple of times. And I mean, they, they had like, I, I played EverQuest, the original way back in the day, but I never went back after WoW. So it's like, I, I understand the people who love that kind of thing. They're, they're also like, they're the MMO strain of the Dark Souls people who are just like, I like to punish myself. I like to hit myself. With the, right. With the self-flagellation. But uh, I'm, that's not my thing. Uh, I don't have enough time for that to be my thing. Yeah. So... Uh, I prefer my my Final Fantasy XIVs and uh, World of Warcrafts to something like Final Fantasy XI, but I'm I'm glad uh, that the people who love it can still continue to play it, and not only can they continue to play it, but it looks like it'll go till at least 2022, mm -hmm. uh, because as part of the the interview 
stated normally they, they had a year-to-year -year budget so they weren't able to plan a lot out but now they have their budget multi-year at least to the 20th anniversary which again is in 2022 so uh, they they get to do some fun stuff for their community uh, on the way to the 20th anniversary speaking of wow uh the sh was it shadowbringers is an alpha right now uh have you shadowbringers had a chance to play it is uh i have so shadowbringers is the final fantasy 14 expansion that yes. came out last oh, year shadow realm and now we're shadow lands shadow lands which is the wow expansion and shadow i think shadow realms is the mobile game there's a mobile game also with shadow that is one of those things that all youtubers have like and this oh, video yeah. was sponsored by shadow realms or something like that uh, but yes it's shadow lands and uh, i have gotten uh time to play some of it and currently it's very pretty it's very wow um one of the things that they just added literally this week uh to the alpha was a new sort of roguelike dungeon which seems to be the thing that a lot of people really seem to enjoy uh some way because part of the problem with every mmo is once you get to end game it's mostly repeating content uh that's that's sort of the name of the game and the way that torgas works is it is a giant multi-floor dungeon that changes every time you enter it so it tries to offer at least somewhat of a different experience for players as they continue to uh chip away at end game until you know the developers can do the next bit of story content or raid content or whatever so, okay, you were playing Fallout 76 Wastelanders. You yes. had some interesting things to say about it. Mm -hmm. So if you're not familiar with Fallout 76's latest content drop, because why would you be? Because <laughs> Fallout 76 has been bad since its inception, which, oh my God, was that like a year and a half ago at this point? Oh my God. I can't believe it this was, game yeah. has been out for so long at this point. But yeah, so it's been pretty much bad. Uh, it was really crucified at the time at launch because it had no NPCs, had no real role-playing content, had some very basic survival elements. It was very janky. People hated it. But as sometimes happens with these games, uh, this weird dedicated community kind of grew up around it, kind of created their own gameplay within the rather awkward restrictions put upon them by the game and meanwhile bethesda has continued to support fallout 76 to their credit yeah and now they've put out this new wastelanders update and oh my god there are actually npcs now it's kind of resembles something like a follow game but it doesn't feel organic according to mike it feels like it's been kind of bolted on yeah so like the 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 real problem is is that when you sort of start so i started a brand new character to see what the new starting experience was like and when you start playing uh the new characters and npcs are very fallout but you can also see the seams of where the existing content that was already there was sort of they're they're like as i explained in the article sort of bolted together so the original main story quest that you started with in fallout 76 was your vault overseer headed out of the vault before you and you were sort of 
walking in her shoes, collecting her little audio logs uh, about what had happened to the world. And you were just trying to catch up with her. And along the way, you would also get the audio logs of other people who had died right before the apocalypse or right after it, like the responders or the firefighters. And now Wastelander is supposed to take place a year later. Uh, So there are people, uh, but it's really weird because like your first bar is, is this wayland, what, sorry, the wayward, which is a fully functional bar with a automaton guarding it and like alcohol and everything. But it's like right across the way from where the overseer's camp was before and then you get her little audio tape about like there are no survivors when you're sitting in this bar full of people (laughs) and it also doesn't like really make sense within the world that like there was nothing last year in this area and now there's a fully functional uh bar there's full cities there's a foundation which is the Settlers Faction City, and then Crater, which is the Raiders Faction City, uh, which are really impressive. It just, it's very weird. And then there's also just like a, a the addition of the fact that it's still Fallout 76. So like the idea of Fallout 76 is you take everything that's mm-hmm. not nailed down and then you, you turn it into scrap and then you use that scrap to craft other stuff. Um, so you'll go into like people's houses, like new settlers, and they'll be like, I don't want anything to do with you, but you're just running around stealing all of their stuff <laughs> because there's no, there's no stealing system in 76 because the game wasn't built for that. So, or, or like there's a section where a raider like had me under guard and they were like, we're watching you. We don't trust you. And then I'm just taking all of their stuff. Yeah. And so it, it I like the new narrative uh, that they have added. I like the NPCs, uh, and it feels definitely more like a Fallout. But there's also the other game that Fallout 76 Mm -hmm. was, and Wastelander still has to play with both sides of that. And when they come together and meet, it's a little bit ugly. I think that when Bethesda was creating Fallout 76 originally... They had this notion in their head, and I'm sure it looked really good in a pitch document, that the player would emerge from their bunker for the first time to this empty and very spooky world, but that it would be slowly but surely populated with other players, and the other players would be the NPCs. And it didn't really work out that way. (laughs) Some of that works. Like, you can find now uh, in the current version, like, player shops and settlements but the problem is is that the the way they built the service is instead of building a, a an mmo like an actual mmo where it's a persistent world with a whole bunch of players in it fallout 76 drops you into random servers and the servers have i think like a maximum of like 20 people so you're not you're not even getting the full benefit towards whatever that that pitch of an online enabled fallout game would have been like if you could actually have servers where players could build persistent group cities that would be great yeah that would be really cool 
the game doesn't really work like that because of the server constraints. Do you think that now is a good time for MMO fans or Fallout fans in general to pick up Fallout 76? I think modern Fallout fans might give it a shot. It's worth giving it a shot for modern Fallout fans um, because it still carries some of that, you know, first-person narrative and dungeon diving and all of that stuff. Uh, Just temper your expectations because the narrative is definitely better than it was, but it is not as deep as, say, a Fallout 3 or New Vegas or Fallout 4 because, again, the game wasn't originally built around the quests driving the player through everything. The tyranny of reduced expectations. It was so garbage (laughs) before that people are dazzled by literally any story. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, like I said, it's better, but I wouldn't... It's not to the point that this is something that I would continue to play on a regular basis. Yeah, so I think I like Fallout better than you, Mike. I seem to recall that you're not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of modern Fallout, so I liked old school Fallout, and modern Fallout is a distinctly different thing, which I understand why people like, but it is a distinctly different style of game. And so, for me... Now I play, you know, things like Wasteland or Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2, which are closer to old Fallout. Yeah, I liked Fallout 4 probably the most of anybody on the team, which coincidence, yes. I also was the one who reviewed it. So, mm. And I put a lot of hours into that game, actually. Uh, and I, I think I'm more forgiving of the Jake than uh, some people are. Because especially if a game has interesting ideas. But with Fallout 76, I just don't feel any motivation to reinstall that game because the original was such a letdown in so many ways that it's hard for me to get motivated or that interested in the Wastelanders update. And I wonder how many people are going to kind of be on my side, especially with, you know, Animal Crossing and such kind of buoying them along. Yeah, I I think maybe uh, the Steam launch will give them a bit of a push. And I know the Fallout 76 faithful are much happier with the experience. It's just not what I look for. And even as sort of a survival experience, I don't think it's as necessarily enjoyable as something, even as janky, uh, the equally janky uh, arc. Uh, survival evolved which i enjoy playing from time to time (laughs) that's a great game for jank it is like jank personified yeah so like it's not like fallout 76 doesn't hit what i want from fallout uh it doesn't necessarily hit the level of the fallout experience in three new vegas and four and it's not as good at the survival aspects as, say, Minecraft or Ark Survival Evolved. So I'm just kind of like, yeah. If I'm going to play a persistent online survival game, I'm going to play No Man's Sky. Oh, see, there's another one, No Man's Sky, which is vastly improved. Uh, and that that same No Man's Sky loop where you just go to a place and just utterly strip mine it for everything worthwhile and then use that to build your your base camp uh 
I, I like that. I really like that part of survival. I just like, I also, the, the building system is, is much worse. Like I, I, mm, yeah. the camp system isn't as good as the settlement system in fallout four, which I did not particularly like because you couldn't have like an overarching view to place your bits. Whereas no man's sky, like once they added base building, it's it's just a lot more intuitive and, and it does it better. And once so. I stopped my wandering and was able to settle down on one particular planet and then kind of went to the systems uh, radiating out from that particular world and I got to find new and interesting places and kind of got to know the lie of the land, I had felt much more interesting to me and I was able to engage with the game's exploration even more. And they've continued to add new and interesting things like being able to get your own giant capital ship and that kind of thing to land on. And I think they are adding mech suits uh, in the next update. And they've continued to add a lot. And it's a lot of work. So like just harvesting and building things, it's all busy work. But uh, I only have enough room in my life for one of those games, maybe two, Animal yeah. Crossing being the other. So it's difficult for me to shift over to Fallout 76 a game that looks freaking ancient at this point. Like, I could forgive it with Fallout 4 to some extent because I enjoyed the world and the, the settlement building, but when I can't even really enjoy the world as much, uh, the seams really stand out to me in a really big way. I think my last question for you, Mike, is why do you think Fallout 76 uh, still resonates so highly with a certain group of people? I mean, I, I honestly think that there are a number of players that bought into that Fallout survival fantasy. Like, that is the thing that they enjoy, and it really works with them. And especially once you get a good, consistent, probably, group of of friends or, or, or online confidants, and you can start building out some interesting role-playing things, like there was a article on uh, Kotaku about folks who were uh, role-playing a group of cannibals or there was another group of uh, who was role-playing as as cops stopping anybody who, who would pvp or anything like that or the guy that built a maze like there's some interesting things you can do and they're they're a part of the fallout 76 experience i just for the most part, they're not the average player's experience. Yeah, so the dedicated role players are the ones who are really getting into it. Yeah. I seem to recall that there was some kind of weird religion that had grown up in Fallout 76 that yeah, we ended up profiling. Uh, there's a couple. One of them actually made it. So there was one around the Mothman, uh, <laughs> the sort of Mothman cult. That's actually now in Wastelanders as a thing. Like the area the Mothman would appear, they've now put over the Mothman Museum like a cult. So, like that's now in game, which is sort of a nod to fans. But yeah, there's there's a couple of different cults and groups and stuff. Uh, and again, that's that's part of the thing. Like once you find uh, a good group of friends or online people. You can definitely come up with some interesting ideas. You can merge camps together and have a lot of fun. And especially they added private servers. Uh, you can have a persistent server, which fixes one of the problems I have. So. All right. So that's our Fallout 76 Wastelanders edition. 
I'll guess I'll finish by giving some fair credit to Bethesda. I'm glad that they didn't just ditch it and completely abandon yeah. it. And they really have done a huge amount of work to get this thing into at least playable condition. Frankly, this is how it should have been from the start, probably. And I think it would have been way more successful and people would have been way more invested in it. But I guess better late than never, I suppose. Yeah, uh, yeah. and we'll yeah, have to yeah, see where they, they keep going with it in the future. Uh, realizing that I'm also probably going to have to do with this with Anthem whenever they are Realm Reborn that. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I don't want to play the Realm Reborn of Anthem either. Yeah, yeah, you don't, which is why I'm going to have to play <laughs> <laughs> There are benefits to being the boss. Mike, play this. I don't want to play it. Too bad. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Or in the case of Final Fantasy VII Remake, oh, guess what? All mine. Do, 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 do. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't even like try to put RPGs uh, on on my plate anymore. Like, even if I would want to play it, because it, it automatically goes to one of you two. So it's just like, eh, yes, whatever. We, we eat all the RPGs. I'm definitely not reviewing Cyberpunk because that game is going to be too dang long. I'm going to give it to Katie. No, it's between me and Katie, and we will fight for uh, it. Yes, yes, you will. Blood. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, well, we should stream that. That would be a good live stream channel. You and Katie fighting to the death over a cyberpunk review, which, by the way, I don't think is even coming out this year. Uh, you think they'll delay it to continue in the in the era of coronavirus? Yeah, yeah I do. I think a lot of anymore. games are going to get delayed. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking that it might not because the ones that are still coming out now are the PC-centric games, which don't rely on physical releases as much. But I guess Cyberpunk is straddling the PC console divide in a way that some other games aren't. All right, Mike, thanks for coming by. And by the way, if you like Mike, you should go check him out on Twitter at automatic. Zen, Mike, is there any articles that you want to plug this week? I, I guess you wrote about Fallout 76 Wastelanders. I did. I wrote uh, about Fallout 76 Wastelanders. I have two interviews up on the site, one about uh, Final Fantasy XI and another about Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, and then uh, next week you can expect some reviews and some more uh thoughts and feelings on games that i'm playing right now secret stuff and i'm sure at some point you guys are going to sneak on to the podcast and do a followed 70 or no sorry a final fantasy 14 deep dive spoiler chat or something that'd be pretty awesome yes as soon as not nadia has to get on my level yeah uh, that's gonna take a while still because i'm still like you know i've got other games to review and stuff like i'm yeah. reviewing another rpg right now that i can't name Mike, nobody's on your level. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> Talk to you later. All right, thanks to Mike for coming on. And now it's time for a brand new segment. That would be the RPG track of the week, in which we highlight a track of music from an RPG that we really enjoy. And since it's been all Final Fantasy VII all the time this past month, we thought we would grab one from the original game. And Nadia picked an interesting one. Nadia, which one did you pick? 
I picked, well, Final Fantasy VII, I know some people don't like the quality of the music, but I think the compositions are generally great. And one of my favorites is called uh, You Can Hear the Cry of the Planet, which is you hear it in one part of the game. And that's when you visit the City of the Ancients near the Northern Crater. And it's very, um, it's a very interesting sounding track. It's very lonely and melancholy. And you enter this, it plays when you enter this city that used to belong to the, the ancients, the part of the race that Eris is from. And it's abandoned. They, all, the, all the ancients are pretty much gone. Um, and it's a very alien looking city because the ancients apparently, I guess they lived with nature. So they built their, their houses out of uh, shells and stones and everything like that. And you can just kind of see their their furniture and their stuff, and everything's still there, but there's they're just completely vanished. And it's also a part of the game, without getting to spoiler territory, where a very a very big event happens. So the the song that you hear is kind of a prelude of sorts to everything changing in the game, and it's just one of my favorite tracks. Uh, it, it just makes me feel kind of like. It just sounds so eerie. Whenever I hear it, I have to stop and listen. Well, let's stop and listen right now. things that stands out to me about this track Nadia is that it is so different from the rest of Final Fantasy 7's soundtrack I mean you get mm-hmm. a lot of really mournful sounding music especially when you're in mid car you get some silly music when <laughs> at various points especially in Wall Market but this one feels like it's almost out of a different game yeah it really does doesn't it and that's part of the reason I, I, I kind of chose it for our first one it's a very a very alien sounding track and I think it works with uh, the PlayStation like I know like I think uh, Uematsu had a little bit of trouble programming his music for the PlayStation and I feel like this particular track works with it instead of in spite of it or against it yeah there's certain tracks that are really bad in the Final mm. Fantasy 7 soundtrack I think the wall market one is a great example or the sector 5 soundtrack I think where it's just kind of very simple, very repetitive. And this one seems to use multiple channels and that kind of thing. Yes. It starts to expand into the final, into the PlayStation's uh, sound chip more and use it in more interesting ways. You can almost feel Uematsu getting more comfortable with it. And it almost makes me wonder if he composed it somewhat later in development. <laughs> that's actually a very good question. That's a, that's a question I would ask him if I could meet him face to face. Because, yes, it definitely does have the, the quality of a, a song that comes from a composer who's definitely a little more familiar with the instruments they have allotted to them. And uh, it is, you know, not to disparage the SNES or Final Fantasy VII soundtrack, but there's a lot of soundtra- uh, there's a lot of songs in Final Fantasy VII that sound like they can be done pretty easily on the SNES. And I feel like 
Hear the Cry of the Planet is one of the, the few songs that really takes advantage of the CD format for the audio. And I think this is the moment where Ketchy has one of their only truly big moments in the game, except it's not really a big moment because it's just kind of shrugged off almost immediately. Oh, that's I think that's in the Temple of the Ancients, which is, yeah, oh. I understand why that's confusing because ancient, ancient, ancient. Well, you know, ancient, ancient, so many ancients, so many temples, so many cities. <laughs> it, there really is. But um, just to briefly mention the music there, I can't remember the name of it, but that's that's a pretty cool sound as that's well. That's the one where you get uses... the baseball bat. <laughs> yes. The bat with the nail bat. in it. <laughs> you fight the ancient dragon for that. Oh, what a, that's a fight. All right. But yeah, that particular song uses classical the guitars, which is really neat. I feel like. The City of the Ancients is a sequence that tends to get lost a little bit because it's in that segment of the game where Final Fantasy VII starts to lose the thread a little bit. And yeah. it's the big twist where it refocuses again. Yeah. Um, it's the end of disc one, and it really does feel like a, a definitive ending, uh, not just with certain events that occur, but Cloud gets himself together for at least for a minute and says to his friends, um, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. But, you know, if you stick with me, I'd really appreciate it. And, of course, his friends say, yeah, of course, I'll stick with you. And that's when you start disc two, and you, it really ends on a great cliffhanger. Everybody goes, oh, Cloud. And they all decide <laughs> to give him a hug and everything. Yeah, I love the way he's actually depicted in the remake. He's, he's really perfect in the remake. He's exactly what I wanted. When you look at... Uh, hear the cry of the planet it it's not extremely complex like you have the very alien sounding beginning and then it segues into another section kind of mm -hmm. back to the beginning and then it loops and repeats so uh, so it does it never hits that next level but i think that as a piece of background music it is largely effective it is like it has that really interesting warble at the beginning and it kind of has like almost a creeping sort of tiptoe rhythm that really works for this abandoned city that was once full of this, this race that you never really knew anything about but all came to a pretty tragic end thanks to Genova. Oh, spoiler alert, <laughs> Genova. <laughs> oh no, sorry. Kill Which me. by the way, now that's a track. Oh, it's such a good track, like. That was the first track I put on in Final Fantasy XV when you get the car and you can, <laughs> you can put really? on your own music. Yep. I love Genova. Yeah. I the bought first, it. The, the first track that I ever put on was the actually the overworld music from Final Fantasy VII, which is some of my favorite. That Yeah, I do have to say Final Fantasy VII's overworld music is great. I actually love the fact that it appears in Final Fantasy VII Remake in the slums. I'm glad they used it. I don't remember the City of the Ancients dungeon at all. Is it any good? Is it long? Uh, there wasn't really a dungeon in the City of the Ancients. Um, it's just a, a location. It's a set piece. It's a location. It's a set piece. Yeah, there's. it's actually very unusual in that there are no random encounters. Uh, you just walk into this sort of haunted, empty place where you would expect to find random encounters, of course, but there's just none. And so it's a little bit like Sephiroth's mansion, in other words. And Was it Nibelheim? Nibelheim, yeah. Like Nibelheim, there are moments... Uh, of course, you revisit it uh, several times in flashbacks, and yes, there are definitely moments in those flashbacks where you don't encounter enemies, and it really, really creeps you out as you like kind of descend that spiral staircase and go to the lab. 
is it me or does it feel like the concept of the ancients wasn't explored that thoroughly in the original Final Fantasy VII? It really wasn't. They didn't give us too much information beyond uh, Eris' mother was one. Uh, her father was a human. Um, that's all we really know about them. Then what, you know, we kind of learned a little bit what happened to them. But it's it's also confusing because uh, it, Final Fantasy VII is one of those games that gives you a story thread that it's like, oh, this is this is the cause of this. And then, like, it twists it and says, no, this is actually this, like, saying, you know, oh, Genova is Sephiroth's mother. No, wait, no, she's not. It's someone else. And uh, Sephiroth's like, I'm an ancient. No, I'm not. I'm someone else. It is very it is very confusing, and I'm hoping the remake does a little bit better with that. I think it does, just based on what I've seen. They definitely delve into Eris' background quite a bit more. Which is good, because there was practically nothing in the vanilla game. If I have one criticism of Final Fantasy VII Remake's soundtrack, it's that sometimes the main theme can get lost a little bit in all of the remixing and all of the additions. And like, uh, I think that actually is the case with Genova's theme. I think they went over the top a bit with it. Oh no, how can, like, I haven't heard Genova's theme yet. Well, Genova's theme was perfect. It was, like, that's the thing, like, uh, such a that is another example of I think Uematsu at least starting to get used to what the PlayStation can do for sound, and that's a very riveting, powerful track that I. It's like a cup of coffee. <laughs> but so here, the cries of the planet. Like I expect it to become more complex. I just hope that they really keep the kind of alien sounding, and it definitely does sound alien. Uh, yeah. Alien sounding opening. Yeah, me too. Like I really love that warble, and I hope they don't screw with it too much. All right, that is the RPG track of the week. Hear the cry of the planet. Thank you to Nadia for submitting it. Do you have a nomination for next week's track? Are you enjoying this segment? Send me some feedback. Send me a nomination for the next track, and we may select yours for the next episode. Okay, let's continue onward to the mailbag, Nadia. Last week's episode contained a very spoiler-filled discussion of Final Fantasy VII Remake's ending, but I made the headline, should Xenogears get a remake? And everybody else had an opinion on that, because that was one of the main mailbag topics. And a lot of people were saying, for example, uh, Wellman II, I don't know if the world is ready for a pink mascot crucified in their JRPGs these days. Unless it is in the Kirby, but we know it would not be Kirby on the cross. Hell no. Kirby would never let himself be crucified. Are you kidding me? That guy is an elder god. I once heard someone say the only reason that Kirby hasn't destroyed everything is because he he's just too, like, he likes sandwiches too much. All he cares about is his friends and sandwiches. But if, he, if someone steals a sandwich, then it's on. Then we're all destroyed. <laughs> so what you're saying is uh, Kirby is an elder god who can wreak havoc upon the world. C- Kirby is a calamity that fell from space. Kirby is... He could easily be the calamity. Like, it is, that is one thing I love about the Kirby series. It actually, it's not, it is subtle about Kirby, like, who he is and what he is, but at the same time, it's not subtle. Um, Kirby is quite literally a destroyer. He, he can destroy, he just doesn't. He's too, he's too cute and nice and happy. Um, but he definitely has that capability. Like, the later games really kind of get into this weird lore about, who Kirby is and what he's descended from. It's, it's very, very strange. When I played Kirby's Adventure for the first time and you fight the Nightmare and it's that yeah. super epic battle with the 
uh, over Dreamland and you're fighting the ball. First of all, some of the best graphics I've ever seen on the NES. I can't, yeah. I seriously cannot believe that they actually pulled that out. And second, I thought I was having a fever dream when I saw that <laughs> sequence. Because I was like, is this really happening in a Kirby game? Like fighting this terrifying monster and it feels yeah. like super epic. And I was like, what is going on? I once heard that the um, create the artist behind the Kirby series is just like, I actually seen his work actually outside of Kirby and he draws this, these like horrible abominations that like just straight out of Lovecraft. And he, he, that's what he's doing when he's not trying Kirby. So I definitely see the crossover. BT Sierra says, not so much a remake, but I'd like to see them actually finish the game properly rather than the second disc we got. My general thought is that Xenogears is half of a really good game, but it could be great. Yeah, I agree. The only reason to do a remake is to finish that dang second disc. Yeah, I think that's what the consensus generally is. Um, I would basically say that would be the main reason to do a, a remake. Muzzymate says, I'd just be happy with Square releasing the PS1 version on PC, Xbox, and PS4. A full-blown remake would be icing on the cake. Hmm, yeah, even just having the the game there, like, I, I probably wouldn't finish it, but just finally getting to try it for myself and see what the appeal is and probably laughing at it because I know the the, the themes are probably so outdated by this point, but I'd give it a try. I was from a very specific time and place, heavily it inspired really by Evangelion and also kind of following on from Final Fantasy VII. It was giving Mitsuda and Tetsuya Takahashi a chance to indulge their love at giant robots. Yep, giant so. robots and, and Kabbalah. Which I mean, how can I how can I complain about that, right? <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it's a good mix. So I mean, yeah, uh, I wouldn't necessarily want a full blown remake. I wouldn't mind a remaster of Xenogears. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It's been a I long a time since I played that game. I remember uh, there is a review that I wrote at the time in like 1999, uh, still floating around the internet. I'm not <laughs> going to link it because I'm too embarrassed. Nah, I can feel that. Uh, but it, uh, it's an oddly stilted and very formal review because I'm trying to show what a good writer I am. But, <laughs> oh, the, the first time I turned in like a, a, an assignment for my writer's craft class, it was so full of adjectives. Like my teacher threw it back at me fast enough to ignite. It was so bad. <laughs> when I was in English class, my uh, teacher read it aloud and was like, and never, nobody could believe that the article, the thing that I had submitted was actually written by a student. They figured that the teacher had written it. And I was like feeling so good about myself and so proud. But then I got the article, but then I got the assignment back and it was marked up with red because I, the punctuation was all over the place. Oh, and I think I actually got like a C plus on it. Ouch. Punctuation yeah. is my mortal enemy. My, my mortal enemy too. Like to this day, I'm just like, screw you commas. Screw yeah, you, like, semicolons and colons and everything else and m dashes, stupid m dashes. Uh, I, I'm I can't quit the m dash. Yeah, but every time anyone tried to to teach me grammar in a in a school setting, I have failed every single time. I've come out with f's. I can't do it. All right, and on that note, we're gonna wrap up acts of the blood god. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore capot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. If you enjoyed reading the mailbag, you want to take part in it, why don't you send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net or send me a DM on Twitter, which again is the underscore catbot, and make sure to leave a review 
sign up for our newsletter, which comes out every Wednesday and Nadia works very hard on. You want to reward Nadia's good work. Next yes. week, I think, Nadia, it is time to come back with a console RPG quest. Mm, yes. And I think that console RPG quest is going to be the GameCube. Oh, that should be an interesting one. Um, it wasn't exactly uh, a, 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 you know, a huge bin full of great RPGs, but what was there was pretty good. Yes, I think we're going to do the GameCube next, and then we'll do like the Wonder Swan and such, and then we'll do the Xbox. That works. Yes. I, I am okay with this plan. All right. Okay, we'll be back next week, as always. we got lots more to talk about, including a certain RPG that Nadia's playing. I think we're going to be probably doing a review for that as well. So maybe we'll actually have to push the console <laughs> RPG quest one more week. Sorry to get you excited, everyone. We forgot about <sighs> the game. We're never going to finish this uh, series. It's great. So we, we keep will, going. I... Content for days. Well, you know what? Everyone's just kind of sitting at home anyway, so we have all the time in the world. All the time in the world. And on that note... Everybody, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. We'll see you next week. Happy adventuring.